it's great. Uh, most of you came back. <laughs> and our topic remains the cultivation of stable attention. And we will cover stage two tonight of the nine stages. You should have set, uh, you sh by now you should have set uh, up a daily practice, never missing a session. Have a sense of your entry protocol, that means how you enter the practice. I talked about that last time. And also you should have decided by now what object you are, you are going to work with. So, for the sake of this uh, practice, cultivation of stable attention, it's very helpful to be settled and to be clear of what the object is with which you want to cultivate stable attention. And last time I proposed you the sensation around the nostrils and uh, the sensation of the breath in the belly. <coughs> so from now on it's good if you stick to one of those in your daily practice. One important metaphor I gave you last time is the metaphor of balancing a tray of filled glasses through a room with furniture and a bunch of cats. So this is symbolizing um, our intention to stay engaged with the object, that which we have on the tray, that which is in the foreground of our attention, but also have an eye on the surroundings. What else is happening? And this having eye on what is happening in peripheral awareness will become more important uh, while we go along. So tonight uh, I want to uh, bring up the theme of this second stage, and that is I already mentioned it last time, it is how there are two main processes which will compete for your attention and which will kind of try to seduce you into forgetting the object. So forgetting the object means your attention is not on the tray anymore, you're doing something else. Yeah, so that is forgetting the object. <clears throat> and uh, the, the goal of the second stage is to come to a place in your practice where you hardly forget the object anymore. So that does not mean that there's still distractions going on and thoughts and, and so it's not like necessary a peaceful meditation, but throughout your meditation session you kind of keep engaged with the object so you don't get into a complete forgetting, a complete spaced out, either through dullness or through distraction or excitement. And that is uh, quite, um, quite possible for all of us to, to get to that place. One of the things is uh, to make that happen is to have really the intention to do that and to, uh, um, to reinforce, 
to positive reinforcement of the moments when you notice that forgetting has happened and then you come back. So that, that should be a moment of satisfaction, a moment of, aha, yeah, that's great. So these are the two main things, how we keep engaged in the object. The other is curiosity in the object. You know, I said kind of, kind of falling in love with the object. And we, we have to talk in the second stage, we have to talk a bit how, how can we become, how can we keep that curiosity in, in the breath because the breath seems to be at one point, once, once, one, at one time when it's quite stable, it kind of gets boring. So we need to set up a challenge so that our mind keeps on being curious, keeps on wanting to inquire deeper. Yeah? So that's what we are going to talk about tonight. No questions. Uh, so we will have a meditation and then I will talk a bit about the second stage. And then after the break, uh, the second part of the session will be for questions and discussion and some feedback how it's going for you so far. Maybe it's good to kind of go back to the basic statement of why we are doing this. This is important that you kind that you understand why why am I doing this? Maybe it's better to spend the evening watching Netflix. Why should I? Why should I do this? Uh, and the answer from the Buddhist tradition is, and all Buddhist traditions uh, agree on that point, and they don't agree on so many points. Yeah? But this they agree upon, and that is, in any kind of inner work, in order to get somewhere, you need to have a certain degree of stable attention. Whatever that work is, be it loving-kindness meditation, be it you know, those people who did the Vajrasattva practice or Shenrezig practice or uh, any kind of psychotherapeutical work, any kind of body work, any kind of inner work, any, any kind of self-development self, uh, uh, needs to have a certain amount of stable attention. So stable attention is not enough. I said that last time. We need to join it with the wisdom part. So we need, we need to unify the shamatha, the stable attention, and the vipassana, the insight practice, into one practice. And uh, so we will do that later. But for now, we, we concentrate on stable attention. <coughs> So we suffer because there is a lack of wisdom. In order to have wisdom, to develop wisdom, wisdom into seeing reality for what it really is, we need to have stable attention. So there's one thing missing, which I don't talk in, in, in these teachings about. I just want to mention it. Uh, the foundation in the Buddhist teachings for being able to cultivate stable attention and then stable attention into wisdom is morality. So morality mean, does not mean that there are some guidelines we need to follow. 
So that's not the meaning of morality in the Buddhist teachings. Please, the, can you say that again? What? The, the last part. Uh, we <laughs> <laughs> Which last part? What would you just say? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, so even to listen to a lecture you need to have stable attention, yeah? So it's, it's like that. So, uh, what I said is, um, well, let's say it in other words. Uh, there is a helpful model in the, uh, in the Buddhist teachings and that's called the three trainings. The first training is the training on morality. The second training is the training in stable attention. The third, the third training is the training in wisdom. And they kind of build upon each other. So morality does not mean that you get a list of rules and then you follow them. Morality in the Buddhist teachings is living your life in alignment with your deepest values. Living, in, living being in touch with what is true for you being in touch with what it means for you to live a harmless life, a life which creates as little inattention as possible. In traditional terms, you would say as little karma as possible. So you want to live your life in a way that you can move from day to day without wanting to go back and fix things and do things differently. Yeah? And of course, that's not possible. I mean, like 100%, but the practice of morality is, uh, is to have the intention to do that, to feel deeply inside and act from that place of not wanting to harm others and yourself. The reason for that is that when we mess things up uh, in our relationships, in our life, so we, we are not in tune with our deepest values, that creates inattention. And that inattention will be, will be one of the processes which will compete for your attention. And it will be there until you have dealt with it. For example, through purification practice, through forgiveness, through self-acceptance, through, uh, uh, through apologizing, through uh, yeah, getting your shit together. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the container. So it's very difficult to sit down after an evening of cheating and lying, after a day of cheating and lying, to sit down and have a good, stable meditation. Because it will bug you. And it's, uh, and it's, not, uh, it's not going away by denying it or pretending it, it's not there. It, it will bug, bug you, which is good. It shows that you are a good person, that you are a decent person. So that's uh, the practice of morality. And there's a lot to explore and discuss there. It's, 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 uh, it's for the next, uh, the, 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 next after, the next after the next. Okay, so let's um, just uh, sit quietly, 10, 15 minutes, and um, this will be a, a meditation around the entry protocol. So to create some space, to arrive, to settle with your intention. So if you want to close your eyes, you're welcome to do that. 
just notice what happens when you pay more attention to yourself, to your inner life. Appreciate what you bring with you. Important here that this is a welcoming, allowing, so it's not about calming down or feeling better, but welcoming what is. And then with the in-breath, you slide into your body, down into your feet. Kind of a quick body scan. And with the out-breath, you follow the quality the out-breath has of letting go. So there's an opening. Then with the in-breath again, sliding or dropping from the head into the body. And with the out-breath, letting go of the control freak, of the perfectionist, <coughs> of the productivity addict, softening and opening, settling into the present moment and bringing yourself along. Of course, thoughts continue to arise, but you allow them to be more in the background, like the sound of the air condition. neither suppressing them nor indulging them. How's your belly? Your shoulders? Your face? There's restlessness, you breathe into the restlessness, bathing your experience in the breath to welcome, to let be. Again, with the out-breath, if possible, to release tension, like a fist opening.
then if it makes sense for you, we call upon the presence of the Buddha, the Dalai Lama, the Kamapa. You feel their presence in the space in front of you. A golden light of wisdom and compassion which is bathing your whole body from the toes to the top of your head. Notice the eyes and the smile. Feel the protection and the inspiration of the lineage of these teachings going back to the Buddha. Turning, relaxing into the loving gaze. Inspired by the Dalai Lama and the Karmapa, we align from our heart with the intention to wake up and grow up for the benefit of all. We align with the intention of Bodhicitta, the awakened heart. To use our life to strengthen our potential of goodness. So see if you can connect with that soft spot in your heart with the yearning to make your life truly meaningful. And then the Buddha, the Karmapa, the Dalai Lama that dissolves into light. That light enters your body at the heart level. You connect with the Buddha inside. Your heart opens like a flower with the Buddha inside. radiating warmth and kindness into your whole body. 
So breathe gently into the heart area, feel the Buddha inside, the Dalai Lama inside, the Karmapa inside. So, and that would be the moment where then your meditation starts. So you would bring your object to the foreground, maybe the rising and falling of the belly. And for the next 20, 30 minutes, you would engage that object. So the main topic is uh, how to work with subtle and cross dullness, subtle and cross distraction. And right now in the second stage, uh, we don't worry about subtle dullness and subtle distraction. That will come f- come come later. So what what uh, distinguish this? Cross and subtle. So when is when is dullness, for example? When would you say it's cross dullness, and when would you say it's subtle dullness? So cross dullness is a dullness which leads to forgetting of the object. So as long as you, throughout the your meditation session, even if there's dullness, so the object is not very clear, you feel a bit heavy, you feel tired, but you can keep engaged with the object, then that dullness would be called subtle dullness. It is called cross dullness when the dullness then becomes so strong that you forget the object. The same with distraction. So what distinguish uh, cross or cross? No, cross, cross, I think you could pronounce it. Cross uh, uh, distraction and subtle distraction is a subtle distraction is, for example, thinking, which is happening, kind of in the background, and things are still there, but you can keep the engagement with the object of the breath. And that subtle distraction becomes a cross-distraction in the moment when it becomes so powerful that you let go of the object, you forget the object, and you get engaged in that, and then this leads to mind wandering, so you, one association to the next, 
And that leads to the monkey mind, which is the mind jumping from one object to the next. So it's not only that you keep on engaged with the first distraction, which made you forgetting the object. From there, you jump from one different thing. So, so let's say dinner came up, and you, keep, you start to engage with dinner. And the monkey mind is then, and you jump to breakfast and lunch and last lunch and next lunch. So that's the monkey mind. And the, the aha moment is this moment when you realize that you are not doing what you intended to do. And that was to stay engaged with the breath. So that's the aha. Yeah? This capacity is called introspective awareness. And this is uh, one of the mental factors which we need to train in meditation. This introspective awareness, this aha, this kind of, you go meta and you see what your mind is doing. And then you correct. So, We want to uh, do two things here. One is staying engaged with the breath, with that which is on the foreground, keeping your attention with the tray while you balance it through the room. Yeah. So the method which we will use for that is called following the breath. So following the breath starts first very simple, like just, okay, I tell you, use the object, uh, the rising and falling of the belly, and then you start with that. But that's not enough. You need to keep your mind alert to the object. You need to keep your mind curious. You need to set up so some challenge. So the first challenge, which uh, is part of the first stage, is that you become curious about the gap between the in and out breath. Yeah? So that's the first challenge. So that's what, I, that's what I invite you to get curious about in your session. So then, but you need to have further challenges. So now I suggest a, a second challenge. And there will be more challenges while we go along. The challenges we set up, they need to become uh, more subtle while we go along. So the second challenge I want to set up is that you become curious about if the sensations of the in and the sensation of the out breath, if you can detect differences. What are the differences? If you would use the nostrils, one difference which would be quite obvious in quite quickly is there's a difference in temperature. The out-breath has a different temperature than the in-breath. So that would be a difference. So now the question is, can you detect a difference between the in and out-breath uh, while observing the breath at the level of your belly. So that's the challenge. You understand the, the purpose of that. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's like 
giving you a bit of a challenge so that you put more energy into staying engaged with the object. So what is important um, in this uh, deeper engagement with the object is that we don't do the beginner's, a beginner's mistake, which is you close down the mind. Yeah? It goes like this. And when you close down the mind, then awareness loses its energy. And you give your mind the signal, hey, it's time to fall asleep. Yeah? So that's why peripheral awareness. So while you balance the, the tray, you keep part of your mind open. You are aware of your surroundings. You're aware of the other things which are happening. You are actually aware of, is there some thinking going on? Yeah? So in that, uh, that kind of, uh, that, that uh, curiosity of what is happening in peripheral awareness will keep your mind awake, bright, and which will uh, be later more very important, you need to cultivate the capacity to, dis to detect possible di cross-distraction before they arise. So what that means, so you, you are engaged in your breath, and one of the cats is coming up. Let's say the cat of, oh, I really fucked up last week. Yeah? A mental process which is competing with your attention. So, what you want to cultivate is the capacity to see that coming ah, again. I have thought this. Ah, it's so boring to think this again. Same story. I know where it's leading. I have thought it a thousand times. No, I keep here. This is much more interesting. The breath. Yeah. So you need to kind of um, get familiar with the different cats in the room, which all have their own life and which want to be seen, and, um, and kind of uh, have a loving equanimity, kind of being bored with it, yeah? but not suppressing it. So I already said last time, at one point, like third, fourth stage, and I will share that with you then, there are cats you need to put on your tray because they need to be addressed, they need to be seen. You need to heal them, you need to love them to death. So, but that, we are not there yet. I'm just saying uh, if you at the moment have the sense Wow, my meditation is just a big mess. There is this anxiety, and I don't know what to do with it, and it just is on the tray. Yeah, so that's what is, that's then what is on the tray. Yeah. But let's go there later. Let's go there next time or in the fourth stage. Yeah. I just want to say that that at one point will be an option. So, introspective awareness. This is. The men, one, the, one of the mental factors is one of the 51 mental factors of Buddhist psychology, 
This is something we, we cultivate. And we do that to, through things. So now I presented you with the practice of following the breath. The purpose of that is to keep engaged. Yeah? Now there's two methods in the second stage for strengthening introspective awareness. The first one is labeling. Yeah? So labeling is a very good practice, also in insight meditation practice. So we are not there yet, but labeling is really one of the precious practices. So labeling means that you give the potential distraction a label. Not, not only the potential distractions, also when actually a cost a distraction has led you to forgetting the object. Then you come up with a label. You label that. What does that label mean? It's like you put an etiquette on it. And it needs to be a simple one. For example, the most simple one would be thinking. Yeah? It could be also a bit more uh, like a bit more precise, like uh, worrying or regret or a boring sticky story or compulsive anxiousness or something like that. So you label that and with that you strengthen introspective awareness and it helps you then to let go and go come back to the engagement with the breath. There's also a physical discomfort. We will talk about this uh, separately also, which also at up to a certain up to a certain level of physical discomfort, you keep it in that loving equanimity. Yeah? Neither suppressing but nor nor indulging into it. So you would you could label it ah discomfort in the right knee, going back to the breath until it becomes so uh, until it becomes so it, it starts to really uh, call for your attention yeah uh, then you shift your position or you make that discomfort the object you engage with so what's the what is the difference between forgetting the object and making the pain in your right knee an object, putting it into the foreground, putting it onto the, the tray. The difference is you know what you're doing. Yeah? So it's not just, uh, oh, there's uh, uh, discomfort, and suddenly you find yourself, oh, you forgot the object, and you engage in the discomfort. No, it is, in, it is a conscious decision. You, 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 you shift your intention. Your intention in the beginning was to stay with the breath, engage with the breath, and now you change your intention so you are mindful of what you're doing. That's the difference. And you say, okay, I put the discomfort in the right knee into the, onto the tray, and I breathe in it, I explore it, and what is important here is to go down to the vibrational level. So you go deeper than 
the words and the labels and the stories. You go down to the energetic level, to what is actually there and not what you make out of it. So there already we start to cross the border to vipassana practice. So you see vipassana and shamatha practice is not like clear-cut. So that's the first practice to strengthen your introspective awareness is labeling. And you have it on your sheet of paper, and I will also send you a few more instructions around labeling. The second is called checking in. So, so far, we have relied on spontaneous moments of introspective awareness saying, aha, you, you lost the object. So now, we will add something to that, and that is a conscious decision to check in sometimes. So what does it mean to check in is you kind of, you, you, you kind of, uh, you, you ask yourself the question, it does not need to be verbalized, but you ask your question, hmm, how am I doing? What is happening? What's the level of dullness? What's the level of excitement right now? So you check in. So this kind of checking in, this kind of decision to check in, of course, disrupt the med- it disrupts the meditation a bit. So it's, it's a provisional method. So if you check in, of course, you lose the engagement, maybe not completely, but you kind of lose the engagement with the breath. So that's a, a bit of a payoff at this stage. And which also says at one point, doing our uh, development with stable attention, we need to let go of this object. This is in generally important throughout the nine stages to know when to let go of antidotes which are not necessary anymore. Because otherwise the antidotes, for example checking in, will be an obstacle by themselves. But for now checking in is helpful. So that would be and Sometimes there it is helpful to have, uh, if you, for example, use the Insight Timer or any kind of meditation app, if you set it to 45 minutes, every 10 minutes you make a, no, you can make a kind of in-between bell, an Insight Timer app that's possible. So you can kind of make it in your own rhythm. Or maybe every five minutes would be actually probably more appropriate. So every five minutes you hear a bell, ah, checking in time, how am I doing? So in this, uh, the (coughs) introspective awareness is an unconscious process which you have no control of. You can't control it. You can't tell introspective awareness, now watch and be alert. This is not how it works. So, but by using a conscious decision like that, checking in and doing it, you strengthen that process. It becomes more, uh, it becomes more vigilant. It becomes more, it goes more to the surface. It, it dares to, to peek out more and more. And that's what you want to do. So at one point, you will have cultivated a Uh, an introspective awareness which is vigilant all the time, uninterrupted. So that means also in daily life you will be much more aware of 
where am I? What's going on? Am I stressed? Am I anxious? How do I feel? How is it to be with this person? So there will be a constant... Uh, and this is not like effortless mindfulness or something. It is an unconscious process of a certain level of mindfulness. Effortless mindfulness. It's not something you do. It's not hard. It's just a capacity we have. It's a natural capacity we have. We have the capacity to be aware of what's going on within us and without, uh, with outside of us. So that's uh, the process how we, at, at this stage, uh, we strengthen introspective awareness with these three method, two methods, checking in and labeling. Yeah. So, so far I talked about two things. Uh, engaging, uh, uh, keeping the, uh, the, your mind, keeping your attention engaged with the object through the practice of following the breath. And by following the breath, I mean putting up some challenges and these different things work for you. What works for me, for example, is to remind myself of the preciousness of life. Yeah? It's just like when I say to myself, because I have gone through this a lot and I've, I have a lot of images, when I say to myself, I'm breathing, I'm alive, then, bing, it's like this, no, I'm just there. It's like bing. Yeah? And there needs to be quite a big fat cat coming up. <laughs> for me to, to let go of the breath then. Because, I mean, what's more important than being here in the present moment and celebrating that you are alive with the breath? I mean, that you can't pay the bill? That, that your neighbor said something nasty to you? I mean, that's, that's completely unimportant. Yeah? So there's different ways, and I will propose different things. And you just need to find your, your thing there, how you can be passionate about the aliveness of this moment, noticing the breath. You can read a bit about the breath. Also, if you are kind of a productivity addict, uh, then addict, a productivity addict, then read about the benefits of breath awareness how it heals the breath, how it makes you strengthen the immune system, how it boosts your creativity and your, uh, your, uh, your productivity at work. And so you kind of you convince the different teams of your mind to join. And that's very, it's a very personal thing. It's different for everyone. So that's the first. Uh, the following the breath and how what's your recipe for that be experimental about it and then strengthening introspective awareness through the practice of labeling and checking in so these are the three things to do for this for the coming years um, and not and I wrote it down on the on the, it's the last sentence on this page. Even as, you, even as you engage more closely with the breath, 
it's very important to also maintain extrospective attention to peri peripheral awareness. So that could be also part of the checking in. Yeah. So you could check in. Oh, am I closing down? Am I getting bored with the breath? I'm kind of attached, uh, still, still there with the breath, but it's like it's like this, and it's kind of black, and it's like, yeah. So then, you know, so you, and I will talk about different moves there. Uh, so then you, then you, uh, then you notice that, and you open your awareness again. You know, you do a moment of meditation like the sky. You know, I've guided that a lot here. So meditation like the sky, full body awareness. So you 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 kind of you open the whole thing again. What is helpful there in in traditional retreats is the alternating of sitting meditation and walking meditation. So because in sitting meditation still, if you have the still if you you have this instruction, but still there is this tendency of kind of closing down, yeah. And then uh, then if you are in a nice place and you do some walking meditation, then it's like you open again, yeah? because. Obviously, in walking meditation is also a shamatha practice, but you need peripheral awareness. Otherwise, you would not even come out of the room. Yeah, you would bump against the wall. So that's how the alternating of walking meditation and sitting meditation is actually a helpful thing in regarding cultivating shamatha without neglecting peripheral awareness. Um, so let's talk about um, dullness and sleepiness. Yeah? So now, at the moment, we talk about cross dullness. So meaning dull, cro cross, G, yeah, cross, mm -hmm. yeah, cross. Uh, I wrote it like that also. Gross, uh, gross dullness. So gross dullness is dullness which leads to forgetting of the object and then falling asleep. That's gross dullness. Subtle dullness is a different thing and will be addressed later. Subtle dullness, just to give you a little peek, uh, no, a little peek into the future, subtle dullness is one of the main traps meditators fall into. Because subtle dullness feels good and is often uh, confused with a kind of stable, peaceful mind. It's like you know, the well-being meditation. <laughs> some music in the background and incense and it's like, wow. <laughs> Maybe smoking some dope. <laughs> wow. This is, my meditation is so good. <laughs> so, and it's just uh, and it, I mean, it's a good thing. Yeah. We should, all should do that more. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> seriously, seriously. But it's not meditation. Yeah. So then call it spacing out and relaxing with a joint or something like that. You know? But don't call it meditation. And uh, this uh, this subtle subtle dullness is 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 really tricky. And it's very good to 
know about it and to hear about it and to get to know it. Because there's thousands and thousands of meditators who get to the fourth, fifth, and sixth stage in Chamata, and they get just stuck there in the cloud. And they might even think they are enlightened. So subtleness is, is, uh, is good to, uh, to be aware of it, and we will talk about it once we get there. But for now, we work with uh, cross-dialness, cross-dialness, so meaning the dialness which makes you forgetting the object and falling asleep, drowsiness. Yeah? So, I have a little list here. The first thing is, sleep enough. Yeah? This is not, you know, this is not talking about uh, sleepiness which comes from uh, living an unbalanced life. That's you need to address with morality. We are, mean, morality also meaning doing the things which are good for you. That's also part of morality. And part, particular in the practice of shamatha, that is very, very important. Yeah? So first thing is sleep enough. Minimum eight hours. Yeah? If you are, if you are uh, ping after six hours, that's fantastic. No, there are people like that. But possibly not. So rest. And rest and rest and rest. You know, there's other things like how can you, in a long term, how can you uh, um, simplify your life? Uh, how, how is your relationship to media? What do you watch? How, how often do you look at your phone? And stuff like this. All the things which um, uh, exhaust you. What is with your diet? I mean, you're not going to have a good meditation af after a week of lunch in McDonald's. No. It is like that. So that's also part of morality. So rest, you know, exercise. I would say exercise is more important than meditation. And then you can do mindful exercise, yeah? Because, of course, if you want to cultivate stable attention, the 35 minutes of meditation, that's not enough. You need to bring this into your daily life with simple, pla daily life with simple plain mindfulness practices doing your dishes and like Tichnatan stuff. Yeah? So uh, sleep enough, rest, massage, uh, take care of yourself. And if this takes a year or two to do that, then you have to do it for the benefit of all. Yeah? So that's important. Uh, then find you know, find rhythms which fit for you. It's not necessarily the morning. Probably a bad time to meditate is after lunch, yeah, for most people. But we are all different. We all have a different rhythm. So find your right rhythm. So now, let's say uh, you, you kind of, I mean, this is a long-term project, uh, the morality project. Yeah? But let's say you are kind of rested, uh, and, and, and you, you sit down for your meditation 
and uh, you notice all this dullness, sit, drowsiness is sitting in. So, the first thing which you could do is to strengthen your intention. How do you strengthen your intention? For example, to the way I did just before, I'm breathing, I'm alive. I don't know if I will be alive tomorrow. It's actually worth to pay attention to this moment. So that would be a way to strengthen your intention. You kind of you give yourself a little pep talk, yeah? precious human life talk. Eight freedoms, ten endowments yeah? from the Lamrim teachings. Yeah? So something which works for you. And uh, initially that might take a bit of time, but at one point, if you have contemplated the precious human life uh, a few times, then you can just say, precious human life, and it's there. Yeah? So that's a possibility. I'm going to die, and I'm going to die soon. What is important in my life? Important in my life is to wake up, to bring into the world the love I carry in my heart. That is important in my life. How I'm going to do this? Through wisdom. How I am going to cultivate wisdom? Through safe, stable attention. So, let's do it. That's my pep talk. <laughs> this one works for me. Uh, so, now, so that's the first. Different possibilities. Another is, I mentioned, expanding awareness. Because dullness is quite often a sign that you have kind of closed down, that the breath got too boring, yeah? And your mind shuts down because there's not a much, if there's not a lot of things happening in your mind, your mind starts to shut down. So you need to energize your mind again. How do you do that? You're expanding your awareness. Here, it is actually good to sit in a place where you can look out of the window. So you do a moment of sky gazing. Okay, you look into the sky, you expand, and your mind might get some energy back. Yeah? Some body scan. So that's a possibility. Next one is to take three strong breaths. So really like, so breathing in, letting it really into your body, and with the out-breath kind of, you could even like visualize that you breathe out the, the drowsiness, the, the heaviness. Yeah? Next thing, tense your muscles. And then you relax. This is actually also a good method of uh, teaching your body how to relax. So this will be very helpful when at one point in this process we have to address all the different tensions and all the different traumas and all the different stuff which is stuck in the body. Yeah? So our body has an innate capacity of letting go. But it's not something which someone can teach you. It's something you need to kind of figure out from inside. But you can do it. It's, a, it's subtle. And it's not really, one can't really explain it, but it's possible. And this kind of tensing the muscle and then letting go 
kind of teaches your body what it means to let go, to soften. So that's another. Another one, standing up. Standing up meditation. Yeah? As you know, or I remind you now, the Buddha taught four meditation postures. Sitting, standing, walking, lying down. These are the four postures. And none of them is particular holy. They are equal. They, they are equally valid and equally precious. So standing. So with standing, uh, you know, standing means that you find a posture where your body is aligned with aligned and balanced with gravity. So your your skeleton kind of stands by itself. Your knees are slightly bent, and it's not a kind of yeah. It's completely relaxed, and it's actually a posture which is in movement all the time. There's subtle movement all the time. And the same as in the sitting posture, by the way. You're not sitting as a concrete pillar. The sitting posture is alive. It moves all the time. It moves around this point of perfect alignment with gravity, which does not exist. But it's like revolving around it. And if you find that place, and if you have done Qigong or Tai Chi, you, you know about this. If you find that place, it's like, oh, oh I can stand like this for two hours. Yeah? It feels like that. I don't think you can, but uh, it feels like that. So standing up. Next, walking. So I would say, instead mm -hmm. of spending 45 minutes in the nodding meditation. <laughs> Just get up and do a walking meditation in your room. I will send you some instruction around walking meditation, how to turn that into a shamatha practice. Walk your dog. Yeah? Walk your baby. Whatever. Yeah? Go uh, and get uh, uh, bread, fresh bread, croissants for the breakfast, yeah? <laughs> and, and uh, bring it to your children. So then you have your morning meditation as walking meditation. Yeah? That's definitely more uh, more conducive for cultivating stable attention than uh, struggling forty five minutes or thirty minutes with uh, you know fighting and feeling uh, feeling horrible. Yeah. So then, kind of the last thing is getting up and uh, getting some cold water into your face. Yeah? Getting up, getting a bit moved, shake, and and, uh, and then and then you then you sit down. So we soon have the break. All this, it, all now I have. Uh, presented you with uh, different options to experiment with, with dullness and sleepiness. But what is very important in, in, the, in the working with uh, dullness and cross dullness and drowsiness is that you don't make it an enemy. Yeah? So you also need to learn a certain equanimity, 
a loving equanimity of kind of, wow, yeah, I'm really, I'm exhausted and right now I, I can't really figure out how to bring my, my life into a better balance. So I'm exhausted and yeah, of course I'm exhausted. It's like, you know, I, I just started this new job and, you know, and two, two little children and or whatever it is in your life. So you, 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 bring, you bring kindness and, 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 and love into that. So you don't make it an enemy. You don't resist dullness and drowsiness. Yeah? So, so see if, you know, where, where you are there. Do you need to uh, actually train uh, this kind of peacefulness with drowsiness? Okay, yeah, so when you become curious about drowsiness, where do I feel it? What is it? Yeah. And then you can also, if you are, if you are in a place of exhaustion in your life right now, and some of you are, then that will become very obvious in your meditation practice. And that's a good thing. As I said, the most important thing or one of the most important things I said last time, here in this training, difficult is good. Becoming aware of difficulties, of challenges, is good, because then you, then you can do something about it. And the minimum you can do is to be kind with it, to be accepting, to be loving. Because what you resist will, uh, will make this journey more difficult. You know, resistance uh, takes energy away. If you resist your dullness, you will become more dull because it takes so much energy to resist the dullness. So if you get that, then like really internally, then you will have this experience that you kind of feel dull and so you do and then you you let the resistance melt and you okay, dullness, dullness, oh, bing, gone. Because it's not really, you know, even if you feel very exhausted, this isn't something which does not really solidly really exist. It's something unchanging thing. Yeah? It's much more flexible and alive and movable than you can believe. So this is important. So don't make this, uh, usually I don't share these methods, these antidotes towards dullness, because uh, people then make it into a technique of fighting dullness. Okay, I'm dull, so. <clears throat> so not like that. Yeah? It's not, it's, uh, 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 Fighting anything within your mind uh, will not uh, bring you anywhere on, on this path. 